Welcome to episode 117 of the Jackson Hole Connection. This episode's sponsor is Prue Real Estate. Should you have any questions about real estate in Jackson Hole, give Dan Vazoski or Greg Prue a call or visit Prue.com to search your current listings. That's P-R-U-G-H.com. Hello from Jackson Hole. My name's Stefan Abrams, and I'm your host and guide. Each week, I sit with someone connected to Jackson Hole, and I've been doing that now for 117 episodes. And these people are sharing their stories about daily life. I feel we have so much to learn from each other, so let's get out there and find some folks to just sit and talk to and visit for a little bit of conversation. And my guest today is a fifth-generation Jackson Hole native, local Nikki Gill. Nikki's family has strong, deep roots in the valley, and they are strong community members. Nikki's family, the Porter family, and the Gill family are connected to many firsts in this valley. But what family, which dates back to the 1800s, wouldn't have some many firsts in the valley? Her family also has many community shared experiences, some great, some tragic, which has helped weave the fabric of this town. Now raising the sixth generation of her family, Nikki and her siblings are carrying on many family traditions and keeping alive several iconic family landmarks like Jackson Drug. In this episode, Nikki shares with us her family history, which has been created right here in Jackson Hole, and she'll share with us a few helpful thoughts on how she balances being a mom and an entrepreneur in today's world. Nikki, welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. Thanks for joining me here. Wow. To have you in here in the office and to be able to sit down and spend some time with you to hear your family history and your history of Jackson. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You betcha. So people that live in Jackson know who you are, but let because we have listeners globally. This is the worldwide <laughs> listenership of the Jackson Hole Connection. Give people a little background about you and your family's connection in history with Jackson. Sure. So I'm actually fifth generation, born and raised here in Jackson. My children are now sixth. Uh, my family came here in the late 1800s. The two more well-known uh, patriarchs of my family are uh, Lou Gill, my great-grandfather, and my other great-grandfather, Robert Bruce Porter. He went by Bruce Porter. Uh, Lou Gill owned the Log Cabin Bar on the corner of the square where Lee's Tees currently resides. And he received the uh, first liquor license after Prohibition along with the Cowboy Bar. They received the two first. Um, and then he also owned the land where the Gill Edition is and subdivided that and sold those lots. Um, and everyone thought he was crazy back then because it was considered so far out of town. People didn't think that anyone was going to buy any of those lots. Which takes you about five minutes to walk from town square to the Gilded. <laughs> I live in my dad's childhood home, and it's not very far out of town. So, um, so that's Lou Gill, and he was my grandfather, Ralph Gill's father. Um, Ralph, my grandfather, was mayor here in Jackson. He ran as a write-in candidate for two terms because he decided not to run a second term and someone started a write-in campaign 
and he again got reelected. He was also a county commissioner. And then on the other side of my family, Robert Bruce Porter. Bruce Porter was the first pharmacist in Jackson. He came here in 1917 and had worked at the Jackson Mercantile while he had just finished up his uh, pharmacy school. And then he went to World War I and came back to Jackson in 1919 and bought the Jackson Mercantile and the clubhouse building, which was the first building ever built on the town square in 1897. Um, he bought that, changed it to the Jackson Drug, and that's where the Jackson Drug started. It was mm-hmm. the first pharmacy. It was a general store. It was a soda fountain. He then built the stone building where the Jackson Drug is now in 1937, built the Teton Theater building in 1941. He started our cattle ranch, the Jackson Hole Hereford Ranch, in 1928. Started down at Dog Creek, which is across from Astoria Hot Springs. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Mm. And in the mid-30s, he bought the Wirt family homestead and the Leakes family homestead um, steads uh, where our ranch currently is, where most people know that it exists. Um, on High School Road, uh, between the highway and South Park Loop Road. He also started Astoria Hot Springs in the early 1960s. Which so. I'm glad that that's back. Oh, it's me. I've been like seven or eight times with my kids. It's it's huge for it to come back. I can't believe it's here. It's a dream come true. Those are the those are the big historical points. I'm sure we'll touch on some more. I've got some good stories, but that kind of is the the Cliff Notes version of. Uh, the two patriarchs of the family and their two children married, Ralph uh, Gill and Janine Porter married and kind of combined the families. Cool. Well, yeah. thank you for sharing that abbreviated, um, you know, root history mm-hmm. there. And and now you're, you and your husband are raising the sixth generation. Mm-hmm. And we share, uh, one of your sons' name is Lewis. And my mm-hmm. son's name is Lewis. Gotta love the name. That's great. <laughs> Do you have a William? <laughs> No, it was just the two. You know, we actually went into the hospital with two pretty... We didn't know what we were having with either children. They were both a surprise. With my daughter, or first we went in with a pretty solid girl's name. And so she's named after my grandmother, Janine. And so we went in with a pretty solid girl's name and like a couple boys' names. And luckily we had a girl because we were set. And then with Lewis, I knew intuitively that she was a girl and Lewis was a boy, even though I didn't know anything from any of the ultrasounds. I just knew. And so we went in with two really solid boy names. One was my favorite. One was my husband's favorite. And we left with a completely different name, not even a combination of the two. We, it took us about 24 hours to to figure out the name. And I almost pulled the, I just gave birth to that child card and we're naming it what I want to name it. But we ended up agreeing on a name. So <laughs> he's now Robert Lewis or Lou Gill. Or Lou Otway, sorry. Lou Gell was my (laughs) great-grandfather. Well, I'm glad that you all, you and your husband, are able to carry uh, some family names to the next generation because that's in his family Mm -hmm. as well, your husband's, that name, Robert, as you were saying. It is. And now you and your family, your siblings, operate out of the old Jackson Drug building that you referred that your great-grandfather built, that stone building. Mm -hmm. And so... Tell us a little bit about what you and your your family are doing now. So kind of rewind to 2016. I ran for county commissioner in Jackson, um, ended up losing, which turned out to be a blessing and another example uh, in my life, which has happened time and time again, of one door closing, another opening. And two weeks after I lost the election, we heard from our tenant, Davies Reed, that they didn't want to renew their lease. 
And my family had always talked about reopening the Jackson Drug. Rewind a little bit further, my family sold the building and the business in 1978. Okay. And so the... Uh, pharmacy and the soda fountain ran until 2001 and in 2001 the building sold and that's when Davies Reed came in and operated their rug store and antique store 2010 they were going through some financial problems and approached my dad who um, owned the building next to him and he'd known the history they'd known the history of my family owning the building and asked if he was interested And this was still like we were in the recession still a little bit. Jackson hadn't fully recovered. You know, my dad, it was a hard decision for him to make, even though he wanted it really badly. It was a big risk, but he knew it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And so from the time he bought the building back, we knew as a family at some point we were going to bring the Jackson drug back. But it had to be a time that worked, you know, for my dad as the landlord um, and owner of the building. And it had to work for us kids with our lives and what we were doing with our own work um, unrelated to the family. So 2016, I lost the election. My sister had helped me a ton during the campaign. We were really bummed. And then all of a sudden we get this email and... Our dream of opening the Jackson Drug became that much more of a reality. So the Davies Reed had another year left on their lease. So we spent the first half of that year still kind of doing what we were doing with uh, the ranch um, and our local beef operation and some other things. The second half, we really got to work planning for the reopening. Davies Reed left, I believe, the end of December, I think is when they ended up leaving. And we got in there and started demo and started getting... Uh, our contractor in February 1st, I think is when they came in. And it was no stopping. We just worked, worked, worked. My sister Jessica and my brother Patrick and I own it together. Uh, Patrick is the second oldest. I'm the first. Um, and Jessica's the third. The other two boys were in college at the time. My other two brothers, uh, Scooter and JJ. So we, you know, spent months and months planning and working with the contractors and uh, chef and ended up opening the Jackson Drug July 13th, 2018, four weeks after I had my first kid. So I got maybe two weeks of maternity leave, not the best timing, but we survived and we're going into our third year of business. Congratulations. (laughs) Thanks. How does it feel? (laughs) Uh, It feels like 10 years and one year all at once. It's you know, I was definitely in a fog in the beginning, postpartum, mm-hmm. and working crazy hours and not sleeping with an infant. Um, but I wouldn't change it for the world. I wouldn't change it for anything. We I learned a lot. The first fall and winter and spring, we were open. It was a lot slower than we anticipated. And in order to save money um, and earn money ourselves, since we weren't paying ourselves, we Jessica and I served almost every shift but two for about six months. <laughs> So, I mean, you learn a lot about your business, and I don't regret it at all. Uh, you learn how to be a good server. You learn how to be a better boss. You understand what your employees are going through. I've washed dishes numerous times. One time I was eight months pregnant and dishwashed for a whole shift. Um, I've hostessed. I've soda jerked. I've bust. I've... The only thing I'm not allowed to do is cook anything because I don't cook. My husband does all the cooking <laughs> in our house. So if we lose any of our cooks, then we're just closing down because I should, am not allowed back there. <laughs> I eat food. I don't make food. At least you know the limitations. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I, I very much know mine. Run for county commissioner. No problem. I got that. Yeah. Cook dinner. Not going to happen. No. Cook for the restaurant. Yeah. At least you know it. I do. 100%. <laughs> 
And so does your family still operate ranch? Yes. Okay. So all of the beef on our menu comes from our cattle ranch here in town. Cool. So we are still a cow-calf operation. We have been for 92 years. We do most everything the same as we did when we first started. I mean, some of the equipment we have was from the 1950s. So my first job was driving a 1950 farm all tractor up and down the fields with a rake in the back, raking rows of hay together. Yeah, not a lot has changed. A little bit of better technology, maybe a little bit of better equipment, but not a lot. And for people that are not ranchers, what does a cow-calf operation mean? Sure. So a cow-calf operation means that um, you it starts from the, the beginning of the cycle where the calf is born. Your calves are all born in the spring, and you raise them, and you sell off steers in the fall or other cows in the fall. So you know, some ranches will bring in um, young steers at the beginning of a summer, graze them all summer, and then sell them in the fall. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, put bulls on cows. They get pregnant, you know, the birds and the bees. And then comes spring, the, you know, you have calves. And so you go out and you're helping the moms give birth if they're having trouble um, or, you know, there's been C-sections that have had to be done. And so it's it's intense. It's a, it's a big job. It's when you're in calving season, the uh, ranch hands are out there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, making sure that none of the mothers are in distress, making sure cows survive. It snows a lot here in Jackson in March and April when the cows are coming. And if they happen to be born during a blizzard, they are brought inside to stay warm so they don't die. So it's very labor intensive. And here in Jackson, not only do you have to deal with all the weather with the calves, you also have to deal with raising hay to feed your livestock all winter long. So you, you know, really hope and pray that there's a big snowpack. So there's enough water to come down to help irrigate. You hope that your summer um, is a good summer where the it rains in June when you want it and it's dry in July when you're cutting hay. So just as skiers pray for really good weather and outdoors people pay for weather, we do too as ranchers. Oh. For sure. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have water, nope. um, bad shape there. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you being one of five kids <laughs> growing up here? You had this big ranch to grow up on, to do stuff on. What was life like being a ranching kid here in Jackson? I didn't really realize it was different. Hmm. Even though when I was growing up, there still weren't very many ranches. When my dad was growing up, everyone was ranchers. Everyone had some connection to a ranch. I think there was something like 70 ranches in the valley when my dad was growing up. Now there's only, you know, probably five working ranches. Only if, and not even all of them are cow-calf operations. So it was unusual. And I don't think I realized how unusual it was until I went to college. Hmm. (laughs) Um, I went to college in San Francisco. um, So no one really understood what it was like to grow up on a ranch. But even in Jackson, it, it was different. You know, I'd have friends come to brandings and come ride horses with me. Um, and I got I got to go on cattle drives. When I was a kid, um, until I was a junior in high school, I think it was, we still grazed our cows up in Grand Teton National Park. Um, and the reason we did that was because our family had a lease to graze up in Grand Teton National Park before it was a park. So we would drive our cattle from where our ranch is currently south of Smith's to the Elk Ranch up in Grand Teton National Park, roughly near where Triangle X Ranch is. Ooh, that's a haul. It is. And it's not loading them into a truck. No. 
you wake up, you get to the ranch at three in the morning, Mm -hmm. saddle your horses up, and you're riding all day. We drove the cows on the highway right in front of Shervin's, right in front of Albertson's, and we went down Spring Gulch Road, Mm -hmm. um, came up went past golf and tennis or plenty of cows that got loose on the golf course. on the golf course <laughs> and you know it was it was several days and it was so much fun it was those night before those cattle drives was like christmas eve as a kid no kidding. i did not sleep i was so excited huh. i mean you we were riding through the park next to bison herds of bison it was spectacular that is so cool mm-hmm. and when did your you said your family stopped grazing about when you were in a junior jun, grazing up in Grand Teton National Park mm-hmm. around when you were a junior in high school? Mm-hmm. So why did your family stop doing it then? We four of our animals contracted brucellosis. Oh, okay, so we ended up having to slaughter the whole herd. Oh, mm-hmm. federal guidelines required that you uh-huh. can do you could do a quarantine, but it was really costly. So we lost an eighty year bloodline at that point mm. and which is really valuable because you kind of breed some of these issues or medical problems out of your cows and susceptibility to certain diseases in the area out of your cows through those generations. Mm-hmm. And then we lost that in, in one fell swoop. So the also on top of that, the lease to graze was a lifetime lease. Mm-hmm. So it was based off the lifetime of my grandmother who mm-hmm. ended up dying pretty young in her mid 60s. Mm-hmm. And so we actually grazed up in Grand Teton National Park with the Mead families, mm-hmm. um, Mead family and uh, Clifford Hansen's family. Clifford Hansen was my grandfather's best friend, um, former Senator Governor Hansen. They also had a lifetime lease and it was on Mary Mead's life. And she also passed away very early, mm-hmm. very young and suddenly. Um, so Clifford having such a great relationship with people in DC, he ended up creating some sort of study and getting our lease tagged on to some bill. And I'm hearing this like very secondhand. This is stuff that happened when I was very young and we were able to keep our lease up because of Clifford's doings in Washington, which was pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Another family and I've interviewed Brad, mm-hmm. uh, another family that has some strong, deep roots and important roots here. Absolutely. Here in the Valley. Mm-hmm. Is your one of your relatives in the picture of people riding out into Grand Teton National Park in protest? It is, yes. Lou Gill was in that photo. So my great-grandfather, Lou Gill, um, opposed it, mm-hmm. and as did you know Clifford Hansen at the time yeah. and, and many locals because they were worried about... Um, their grazing rights and what it would do to the valley. So my grandfather, great-grandfather Lou Gill was very good friends with, with Wallace Berry, who was in those photos. He was a famous actor of the time, mm-hmm. um, one of the most famous actors. Um, he flew planes and somehow, I don't know if there was a film out here, but him and my great-grandfather became great friends. Uh, my great-grandfather also had a plane in Jackson, which was unusual at the time. The um, runway was Pearl Street. Um, <laughs> so the plane would land on Pearl Street. But so he convinced Wallace Berry to come out and Wallace Berry was never, would never say no to a PR opportunity. He thought it was great. And so he got out there on his horse with all these ranchers and they had their guns and made it on the, made it in that photo. That's spectacular. Yeah. I love it. Yep. (laughs) So yeah, he was in that, even though he wasn't a rancher, he was in that photo. Now, earlier on, you mentioned that you have some stories to share. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) 
we don't have to include names. Yeah. There's got to be a story or two that you've heard passed down from your fam throughout your family. That's like, unless you were to tell it today, people would have no idea. Most people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. A lot of them are related just to my family and some of the funny things that have happened. Well, let's um, start there. Okay. Share one. So my grandfather, for those who knew him, Ralph, he was a character and he didn't beat around the bush. He said it how it was. And even people that didn't agree with him and fought with him constantly in politics, whether when he was mayor or county commissioner, they still respected him. And I remember at his funeral, there were over 300, 400 people at his funeral and he died at 84. And that's pretty spectacular for someone that age, you know, when a lot of his friends had passed. And there were people that I knew he'd been, excuse my language, a total asshole to. And they had fought and they came up to me at the funeral and said, I absolutely loved your grandfather. We never agreed, but I had so much respect for him. I knew that his heart was in the right place. So he, I mean, he was a character and um, definitely made enemies. And, but then there was my grandmother. Mind you, my grandfather was about 6'5", 250 pounds. He was a big guy. And his wife, my grandmother, was 5'1", about 90 pounds. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And and pretty reserved and very quiet. But I've talked to people, you know, even a few weeks ago that were like, I loved your grandparents, but you really know who wore the pants in that family. And it was not Ralph. It was your grandmother. <laughs> and so some funny stories about them. Um, he quit drinking when my dad was really young because he was a party animal. But there was one night when my dad was pretty young and it was the day before Memorial Day and he'd met a buddy out at the bar and they were just having a drink. One drink turned to two, two, you know, so on and so forth. He came home lit and very late. And the next morning he had to go put flags on all the gravestones of all the veterans. That was his job. He was also a vet himself. And when he woke up, hung over, he tried to put on a pair of his pants, his jeans. And my grandmother had cut off every pair of his Levi's off at the knees and told him, if you're going to act like a little boy, you're going to dress like a little boy. <laughs> and she, she was vicious. And I, you know, I, I hope I have inherited some of that, too. Um, I think that was pretty bold for a woman of that time. And yeah, she... She was feisty. That's awesome. Yeah. Another time they were doing some cleaning at Astoria one spring, getting it ready. And my grandpa kept doing one more thing, one more thing. It was getting late. My grandmother was like, we have to go. We have the kids. We need to go. And he kept talking to the manager and doing some more things. And finally, she just left. And my grandfather had to walk from Astoria. <laughs> this is in the 60s, 70s. He had to walk from Astoria back to town. That's what, 10 miles? At least. Yeah. I mean, it's a 20, 25 minute drive. Yeah. So yeah, he, he walked all the way home. And I think a couple cars went by, but he was too mortified. Uh -huh. So he hid <laughs> and just kept walking. I couldn't imagine it was too many cars back then either. No, um, no. And, then, and it had to be dark. Very dark. Yes. Yeah. You didn't have a cell phone light back then. <laughs> no, no, not, no such thing at all. No. At all. That's, that's awesome. I love it. When you're thinking about making a real estate decision, it is important to go with someone you can trust. 
Recently, I trusted Dan Vazoski at Pru Real Estate to personally handle a real estate transaction. The service and attention I received demonstrated I am important. Greg Pru started Pru Real Estate in 2002 with you, the customer in mind. Give Greg or Dan a call at 307-733-9888 or visit pru.com. That's P-R-U-G-H.com to connect today. Let them know you heard about them from Stefan, the podcast guy. How do you feel that you and your siblings are carrying on your family history now? Uh, not just through the ranch and not just, you know, bringing back Jackson drug, but what are things that you guys talk about to say this is who we are and what we want to make sure that stays alive? Um, I think first and foremost, we're really close. Um, just like all siblings, we fight, of course, but I mean, I'm in business with two of my siblings and it's not easy every day, but you know, they're my best friends and I, I love them. And I think that's something my parents was really important to my parents and they wanted us to be close. So in that way, we're staying close and, you know, trying to give back to the community as much we can, as much as we can, you know, you didn't want me to use the drugstore as an example, but drugstore is an example right. and, and the ranch, you know, five years ago, six years ago, I started our a community supported supported agriculture program out of the ranch. And that's what initiated our local beef um, selling operation. Mm -hmm. And I created a business plan, presented it to my dad, started that, did that for a few years. And that just kind of snowballed into the restaurant. And now we sell all of the beef in the restaurant. And we do about 50-50. 50% of our ranch goes towards the local beef um, side of the business and about 50% goes to the commercial side to keep us diversified. And my four siblings and I have all committed to keeping that ranch going. Um, it's really important to us. One thing my grandmother said to my father was, you have a heritage in this community. You have a family heritage and it's fragile and it's important and you need to take care of it. And that is something all of my siblings and I live by. And this, there's so many people that call Jackson their hometown for us and for myself, it represents my family's history. It represents five generations of my family working hard and trying to carve out a life for themselves in this a pretty harsh environment five generations ago. And I'm proud of that. And to be able to go out on the ranch and to walk in the Jackson Drug Building on these properties and on this land that my great-grandfathers worked on is so special and I don't take that for granted and not many people can say that they work on a cattle ranch started by their great-grandfather and work fields that they've had in their family for almost 100 years and I'm proud of that and the thought of not having that is I would be devastated. I can see the um, how close that is to your heart <laughs> just just seeing you talk about it. It is it's it's emotional it's uh, I mean, I'm a mom now, so I like everything makes me cry, <laughs> but it is, it's, it, it's a sense of pride that is part of my life every day mm -hmm. and everything I do. And to keep a business, I mean, ranching is a business. Yeah. And to keep a, <laughs> to keep a business alive. It's more of a nonprofit, but. <laughs> <clears throat> well, yes, it can be. Um, I'm, I don't know anything about ranching, but still it's a business and to keep a business alive for five generations mm -hmm. speaks volumes to what the fabric is of, of, the, of your family because there's a lot of family businesses that don't even make it one generation, mm -hmm. 
much less five generations. I think respect was a huge cornerstone of the ranch and of my family's ethos um, and operating it. We had um, ranch hands that worked for us for 40, 50, and 60 years. No kidding. No. Yeah. That lived on the ranch for 60 years, raised their children, and we let them live there after they retired until they they're either passed away or their children took them in or put them in a home and you know paid their health insurance until the day they passed away. So that's, you know, definitely an ethic that I've brought into the Jackson drug along with my sister and brother is it is a family business. Mm-hmm. The people that are working for you are family and they are an extension of our family and being able to keep someone working on your ranch or ranch hands around, which are hard to come by these days, that long is is impressive. And mm-hmm. it's, again, something that my family is proud of, to be able to have those relationships last that long. And I'm interested to know as well, did you ever hear much about what the depression was like for your family in this community mm-hmm. from your grandfather, your grandparents or your parents? Because we're mm-hmm. kind of close to something like that in sure, some way. Sure. Because we're kind of teetering. Um, actually, a lot of the ranch land that we have was actually bought during the Great Depression. Interesting. And because Bruce Porter, my great grandfather, was a pharmacist and had the general store where people bought rings, one of which I'm wearing, they bought feed for their animals, they bought their groceries, they bought clothes, they bought, you know, dishes, they bought everything at the Jackson Drug. Mm -hmm. So he was pretty successful. And because of that, he was able to help out some of these homesteaders who were going to be forced to sell to the banks. And so instead of that, he actually came in and purchased land from these homesteaders so that they wouldn't have to foreclose or, or sell to the bank. He was a very philanthropic man. He, When he passed away in the 60s, he was not very organized. Um, he was more of a scientist with post-it notes and everything everywhere. My grandfather, his son-in-law, ended up, he asked his son-in-law, my grandfather, Ralph Gill, to take over the whole estate when he passed because Bruce Porter had two daughters, um, and he really respected my grandfather, who was an accountant, um, and he knew he would take care of the the estate and his daughter daughters um, and manage it well. And when he passed away, my grandfather, Ralph, was going through all of his financials and trying to get everything in order. And he found out that Bruce Porter had over half a million dollars out in loans to people in the 1960s, many of which that he never intended to collect because he was the person that people could go to in their time of need. And I have heard, especially now that we have the Jackson drug, while working in there, some of the old timers have come in and said, your great grandfather saved my family. Hmm. They, he came in and when my grand, you know, grandfather died, he took care of my grandmother. He helped her you know, buy her house or keep our business afloat when we were struggling. And those are really cool stories to hear. And he set a great example for us and one that I hope to be able to set for my children. Yeah. And don't don't lose that history. Don't lose those stories. And because I have stories of like that of my grandfather and mm-hmm. my family back in Mississippi. And my grandfather grew up during the depression. He was born in nineteen oh four and he tells told me stories and 
I wish more people in today's world knew what ha- knew how people struggled during mm-hmm. the depression and what it was really what it was like mm-hmm. back then. And then I think they would have a a different perspective of what's going on now mm-hmm. and how we in society can just put a pause on things for a little bit and um, ground ourselves a lot more and rely on each other. I think the the lockdown and the beginning of the pandemic helped. I think it helps mm-hmm. us all put our priorities into perspective. I mean, my maternity leave, I had my son on March 11th. So it started, you know, the day the pandemic started. And so I was at home and I'm not someone who sits still very well. And I like to work a lot. I like to pack my schedule full of things. You know, I've have got my yoga certification to teach yoga. So I taught yoga while pregnant, while also operating a business with the ranch, while also starting a business with the Jackson drug. So I like to have a lot of irons in the fire. And that really, the lockdown really helped me and put a lot of things into perspective to focus on my family and quality time and to learn to just kind of be. And it was hard, but I am very thankful for it, for sure. Nikki, that is... (laughs) (laughs) um it's tough to grasp exactly what you just said (laughs) because that is a lot of Mm -hmm. responsibility and for all the people that listen who are parents or have you know moms or dads understand what it's like raising a new you know having a newborn it is not easy how do you keep it all together what is your system what is your secret sauce to keeping it all together here caffeine uh one from cowboy coffee a little plug there um family i mean my parents help me constantly with my children this morning my dad showed up at nine o'clock in the morning to pick up my kids and bring them to their house and my mom's watching them and my dad pitches in when he comes in um, and helps out we did have help you know, with like a nanny share, like a lot of people do in Jackson with your friends. Um, But when the pandemic started, my family's super important to me. My dad is high risk. He's had four types of leukemias and cancers. And so we have had to be really careful. And my mom stepped in and said, I'll be your full-time childcare. And she, I mean, I'm one of five. My mom's one of 12. So she, she's yeah, Catholic family from Minnesota. It's, it's crazy. But yes, one of 12. She loves kids. And she, this is her dream come true. She's wanted grandchildren from the moment she had her last child. So my dad will come pick up the kids three or four days a week for me and bring them down to their house and my parents watch them. So I'm super lucky. Not a lot of people in Jackson have that. And it's I have a great husband, too. He owns his own business as well, just opened his second location. And you know, right at the last two months with his new business, he's been leaving at 645 in the morning, getting home at five or six. And it's, you know, we do the Jackson juggle struggle like everyone else. Mm-hmm. But my family is my lifeline. They help me a ton. My sister helps out a bunch. My brothers are so good with my kids. Um, my sister's husband is amazing with the kids and they, they're obsessed with him. So we're lucky. Sure. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to say blessed on that one yeah. because, gosh, I, I wish I had that. So mm-hmm. um, cheers to you. Yeah. And thankfully, your parents are, are around and capable of mm-hmm. helping out with that. Absolutely. And that they receive so much enjoyment oh, for, for helping with your kids. They do. Oh, that's, that's terrific. <laughs> They're exhausted, but they love it. <laughs> and, and I love how important family is to you. Mm-hmm. And 
I remember my mom always telling my brother and sister and I that the most important thing in life are your are your siblings. Mm-hmm. Because in the end, that's all you have. Totally. When it all comes down mm-hmm. to it, that's all you will have. I, I mean, can't tell you how many times my dad and my mother told us mm-hmm. that. <laughs> but it is true. Yeah. And they, they certainly, relationships with siblings certainly challenge us and um, at least challenge me to say, I might not agree with them, but I still love them mm-hmm. and I will still push through anything in the world mm-hmm. to maintain that relationship with those two. Yep. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. I don't get that upset when someone attacks me, but if you attack one of my siblings, <laughs> watch out. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it just brings out something in you. Well, Nikki, how about... A word of wisdom or, you know, nugget, little pearl nugget um, to share with people as far as what they can do as far as living a full life. Because you certainly <laughs> do and you do not stop. No, I don't. I don't know if I'm the best example for that, though, because <laughs> burnout is a real thing. But I, I would just, you know, and I've gone through yoga teacher training. I love yoga. Patience. I think patience is something that our society lacks Mm -hmm. and is lost sight of. And I believe, you know, like I said earlier, that when one door closes and it's so cheesy, but another one does open. And I've had so many instances in my life where something really tragic happened or something really devastating or some big roadblock showed up and you just, you know, breathe through it and pivot And be patient, be patient in the process, be patient with life, with opportunities. You know, owning a business in Jackson is really tricky. And when it comes to hiring people and trying to staff a restaurant, you know, with 40 employees or so, there's a lot that can go wrong. And it seems like as soon as we kind of hit a rhythm or we're fully staffed and things are going great, we've now learned it's like, okay, what's going to drop? Like what's about to happen? And inevitably something does. And rolling with the punches and being patient and trusting yourself, trusting your gut and your instinct, I think is really, really important. I think people are smarter than they give themselves credit for. I think if you really, you know, dive deep inside yourself, which this pandemic is allowing a lot of people to do, you realize you have all the tools and you can do it and ask for advice. That's another thing. Uh, Reach out to people. I think this community is so wonderful that even competitors, I have friends who are in the restaurant business, um, one of which is Nicole Rice or Nicole Davis. I'll give her a shout out here. We were childhood best friends. We own competing businesses just a few door da- doors down from each other. And we text constantly about stuff. And I think Jackson is unique where we're really all in this together. And I do think people work well with each other and help each other out in their time of need, even when they are competitors. Uh, I think that's that's definitely unique and pretty special in this community. And I think that goes back to our homesteaders, that you survived because you got help from your neighbor. And if you were down and out, they knew that they could help you out. They did. And they knew the favor would be returned if it was they themselves that were in that position. And I think that um, has carried on through the generations, which is gives me hope. <laughs> That was a lot. I don't know if I gave you just one, but I kind of rambled. So hopefully you got something out of that. You gave plenty. Um, And I love how you tied it back to the homesteaders. That was unintentional. That just worked out. I was lucky. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, well, you pivoted. I did, pivoted. <laughs> We've had to do that a lot recently yes. with this pandemic. Oh, boy. So wrapping it up. Sure. If somebody wants to reach out to you mm-hmm. and connect with you, what's the best way to do that? What's an email? Email. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Nikki, mm-hmm. N-I-K-K-I, at, now this is the tricky one, J-H, HerfordRanch.com. Herford is H E R E F O R D Ranch.com. I'm not the quickest at re- responding to emails. I get inundated with a lot with my multiple full time jobs, but I will get back and just pester me if you really want something. That's, okay. I tell my employees, they're like, I texted you. I was like, you got to text, email, smoke signals, do it all. I'll get back. So that's uh, it's hard with kids. <laughs> you heard it here today, yep. folks. Thanks, Nikki, for sharing your time with me Thank and with you. all the listeners today. Thanks for having me. You got it. Take care. Cheers. Bye. To learn more about Nikki and her family and her businesses, visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode 117. Please, all of you listeners and valued supporters, get out there and support thejacksonholeconnection.com. Share this episode, send us some feedback, and have a great day. Many thanks to everybody who makes this happen every week. My editor, Michael Morey, my wife, Laura, my boys, William and Lewis, and all of the fabulous regular listeners. Sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you back here for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection. <laughs>